0: So we're continuing this seven-day shout series, the sermon series that we're in. And again, we got up here on the, the board, uh, to your right over here, the, the walls that we are hopefully praying around every single day for God to bring down in our lives. Taking this from the, the story of Jericho, in the book of Joshua, that we read on our first week about how the Israelites marched around these walls once a day, every day, for six days. And on the seventh day, they marched around again. Seven times, and they lifted a shout together, and then God brought the walls down. And what would it look like for you and I to march around the Jerichos in our life, these Jerichos of pride, of anger, of control, of sadness, of selfishness, of insecurity, and division, and ask God, prayerfully ask God, God, take these walls down in my life. Because walls separate us from things, right? They separate us from each other, even just your fence and your neighbor. They separate us as countries sometimes. Anyone remember the Berlin Wall? Yeah? Your kids don't have a clue of what I'm talking about anymore. That generation's done now, I guess. The Berlin Wall. Bring this wall down, right? Walls separate us from things, and they can separate us from God. These things come between us and God. And these walls that we've been talking about, from a distance, they don't seem so high. But as we approach them, as we get closer every single Sunday to a new wall, to a new wall, to a new wall, some of them just might hit us right in the fields, So we're going to continue in this series this morning. I want to start off with a poem by Olga Weiss. The road is too tough, I said. Dear Lord, there are stones that hurt me so. And he said, dear child, I understand. I walked it long ago. But there's a cool green path, I said. Let me walk there for a time. No, child, he gently answered me. The green path does not climb. My burden, I said, is far too great. How can I bear it so? My child, he said, I remember the weight. I carried my cross, you know. But I said, I wish there were friends with me who would would make my way their own. Oh yes, he said, Gethsemane was hard to bear alone. And so I climbed the stony path, content at last to know that where my master had not gone, I would not need to go. And strangely, then I found new friends. The burden grew less sore. And I remember, long ago, that he went that way before. Today we're bumping up against the wall of sadness. And at first, this might not seem like a wall. Like pride, maybe we get it. Anger, maybe we get it. Control, maybe we get it. Pride, you know, or other things, they make sense. Sadness might not exactly seem like a wall in our life. It can sneak up on us, into our lives, and again, like walls do, separate us from our relationship with God and others. And I'm sure there's some things in your life that you have been, are, or could be sad about. And maybe this will get our brains going. I just want to share a couple of the things that I I guess could be sad about. I, I guess I could be sad about losing Drum major in high school. I really wanted a drum major, you know, to stand up there and wave my arms like crazy. I didn't get it. I could be sad about that. My first car I bought got totaled in the school parking lot by someone else two weeks after I bought it. I could still be sad about that. I I could be sad about scholarships that I earned and then lost at USF, young and dumb. I I could be sad that I was cheated on by my ex-fiance. I could be sad of the career path that I had always thought that I wanted to do ever since I was a little kid didn't work out. I could be sad that I came here and inherited a job and finding out that that job that I moved my wife and my family down here for from Atlanta almost three years ago was a lie. I could be sad about that. I could be sad about seven years of medically unexplainable infertility with my wife. I could be sad about watching my dad fight with stage four pancreatic cancer and passing away last July. I'm sure you have some things you could be sad about, right? You see, pride, anger, and control are walls that are more noticeable to us. But sadness is like a slow build. It creeps in. It takes a long time to see this wall in your life. But this morning, if it's there, you know it is. You know it is. And to be clear here, I'm not talking about that event that made or makes you sad. I'm not talking about that one event that made you sad. I'm talking about the extension of that sadness, the extension of that event into your everyday life, to permeate every decision you make because of that event, whatever that was that made you sad. Things are going to happen to all of us that make us sad as part of life, right? But how we deal with that determines whether that becomes sadness or something else. And I spent a lot of time this week thinking, you know, what is it actually that makes us sad? What are the things that make us sad? And so I started just listing the things that, you know, I think make people sad. And I'm not talking about like, you know, the Facebook video that you scroll through and there's a little kitty stuck in a drain or something like that that gets rescued by a firefighter. No, I'm talking about like real life things. What are the things that make us genuinely sad? What are the things that can become not the, that one event, but the extension to become sadness. So I started listing these things, and loss of a loved one can make people sad, right? Loss of a job can make people sad. Loss of purity for, for women who were who are raped or sex trafficked, that's, that's a big thing. They can be sad about that. Loss of a disagreement, guys, you know what I'm talking about. We lose all of them, technically, right? Loss of sanity, Alzheimer's, and all of those things that can pile up. Well, you know, l- loss of health, What about that, you know, when we get older and we age or something happens to us in an accident? Loss of stability, loss of normalcy, loss of, loss of, loss of, and, and I actually realized that it's loss. We are sad when we lose something, right? See, when it rains and you want to go play football outside, you're not necessarily sad. It's raining, you're sad that you lost the opportunity to play football outside with your friends, it's about to be 4th of July, and last 4th of July, we were up trying to watch some fireworks up at the Cape, and if you remember, last July, it was raining, and we couldn't watch any fireworks that day. They shot them off like an hour later, as we were driving home, we're like, oh, right? We, we weren't sad that it was raining, we were sad that we couldn't watch fireworks on our schedule. We lost that opportunity. Inversely, this is what makes birthdays and Christmas so fun, right? Because we don't lose anything, we gain things, Right? So when does just being sad become a wall of sadness in our lives? When does that event become an extension into our lives? Sadness has become a wall in your life when you still operate in the mindset of that past event. That's when sadness is a wall in your life sadness is a wall in your life when you still operate in the mindset you think you plan you choose you make decisions based on that past event whatever it is or however long ago it was It doesn't matter it's like you have a loss of a loved one and you you can't touch their things in the house because that's where they left it and it's been months or it's been years you've got a wall of sadness in your life maybe you lost a job or a career or you're retired and you can't now seem to find your identity or your purpose or just a drive. And you're sad about losing that. You've got a wall of sadness in your life. Maybe you've lost health from an accident. And you, you spend your time just wishing you could do that thing you used to do. Whether it's fishing or, or biking or running or remembering. Maybe you didn't get that promotion so now you just quit trying. Trying. The problem is that was a promotion from three jobs ago and now you're still thinking about it. Maybe it's when you don't even want to get out of bed to face the day because of fill in the blank. You guys been there before? couple of nods, yeah, yeah. Oh yeah. Here's another one to remember though. Despite the fact that sadness has become a wall in your life, when you still operate in the mindset of a past event, Remember this, every miracle in the Bible started out as a problem. Every miracle in the Bible started out as a problem. Someone was blind, that was a problem, they couldn't see, Jesus healed them. Israelites crossing the Red Sea, what are we going to do? we just tried to escape the bondage of the Egyptians, now we're up against this river, what are we going to do? They could be sad about that, right? What about the, the wedding? They, they were to celebrate, they ran out of wine, what did Jesus do, Right? What about this guy named Lazarus, we're going to talk about a little bit later, who had died? And his family, Martha and Mary, so distressed. What about Jericho that we've been talking about? That's too fortified. We can't attack that. They could have been sad, right? They could have all been sad. But when we flip through the pages of the Word, they all trusted God. At least the ones we like to read about. So the question is, what is God wanting to do in your life, but you're too focused on the problem and the sadness to see it? See, sadness is like a cloud that just comes in front of us and just distorts our vision so we can't see right. Not the event, the extension of that event when it permeates our life. And I believe this morning, that, like, actually every morning and every day, that God is trying to demonstrate His love to us and through us. But the enemy will use a sad event in your life to, to lure you, to lure you and me into dwelling on that rather than dwelling on the Lord. It's going to lure us into, into thinking about that rather than thinking about others. It's going to lure us into to focus on that instead of focusing on our relationship with Jesus. That's what sadness does. Not the thing that made you sad, the niss. We get the niss part of this. This morning, it's not the th- one thing, however big or small that one thing was, tragic event. Those are things we lose something. This is the extension of that into our lives. So I wanted us to get the NIS part. So I'm like, well, how can we get the NIS part? Well, I think of ness. and I'm like, Loch Ness, right? And so that's where my weird brain goes, Loch Ness. It's like this little monster that like, you can't always see. And we're like, people, is it real? Like, is this sadness really in my life? Well, I don't know. There's these scratchy black and white pictures of it. Maybe, maybe someone told me that that one time, but I didn't really believe them. Like, no, I don't have a problem with sadness in my life. That's not real. That's a fake image. Put that thing away. We end up with little Loch Ness monsters of sadness swimming around in our insides. Sounds weird, right? I don't know how else to explain it because it's true. Psalm chapter 30, verse 5. Weeping may endure for a night, but joy comes with the morning. And those of us with the wall of sadness in our lives, you know what? We need to wake up to a new morning today. Not because of sunshine or roses or unicorns or rainbows, but because of a promise. Here's the promise, we've already been in the book of Joshua, but Joshua chapter 1 verses 5, this is after Moses has died and and the Israelites and Joshua's just stepping in, I'm like, what is going to happen? And the Lord says to Joshua, no one will be able to stand up against you all the days of your life, the Lord says to Joshua chapter 1, as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. That's a promise, isn't it? What about this? Psalm chapter 37, verse 28. For the Lord loves the just and will not forsake His faithful ones. They will be protected forever. That's a good promise, isn't it? Same promise. We're going to talk about what that promise means for us later. Last one, Ecclesiastes. If you've got your Bibles, Ecclesiastes chapter 7, only verses 2 through 4. I'm going to be there real quick so you don't have to worry about turning. It says, It is better to go to the house of mourning than to go to the house of feasting. You're like, what? That's, that doesn't sound fun at all. all right? House of mourning, house of feasting, which would I rather choose? Right? For this is the end of all mankind, that house of feasting and the living will lay it to heart. Sorrow is better than laughter, like in what universe? For by sadness of face, the heart is made glad. The heart of the wise is in the house of mourning, but the heart of fools is in that house of mirth, of fun, of joy, of feasting, of merriment. Like this, this sounds like a very sad passage. Josh, why are, we, why are we reading that? Because it's true. And basically what this wrapping up is saying is that we all got some school of hard knocks, right? And how we weather that, how we go through that, how we approach that makes the difference about what party we're going to end up at eternally. So we're going to look at two main scriptures today. The first is about this guy named Job. This guy named Job. So if you've got your Bibles, turn over there. The book of Job, chapter 1. We're going to start in verse 13. And to set this up as you turn there, Job had three friends, Eliphaz, Bildad, and Zophar. And Zophar come because, you know what? Job has lost everything. Job has every excuse, every excuse in the book to make sadness his wall and just exist there and be okay with it. He was an extremely rich man, Job. He had ten kids, seven sons, three daughters. He had 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen. So really, that's like 1,000 oxen because a yoke is two, right? 500 female donkeys, so you know there's going to be some male donkeys. And then very, very many servants. This guy was rich, and he had everything. And before we get to verse 13, the enemy, Satan, comes up and says, well, what about this guy, Job? The Lord says, well, you know what? See what happens. See what happens. You can take his stuff away, just don't harm him. And let's see if he actually chooses to praise my name. So pick it up in verse 13. Now there was a day when his sons and daughters were eating and drinking wine in their oldest brother's house. And there came a messenger to Job and said, The oxen were plowing and the, donks, and the, and the donkeys feeding beside them, and the Sabaeans fell upon them, this army, and, and took them and struck down the servants with the edge of the sword, and I alone have escaped to tell you. While he was speaking, another guy came in and said, The fire of God fell from heaven and burned up the sheep. Whew. And the servants and consumed them, and I alone have escaped to tell you. And while he was yet speaking, another came and said, The Chaldeans came and formed three groups and made a raid on the camels, and they they took all your camels, and they struck down the servants with the edge of the sword, and I alone have escaped to tell you. And while he was yet speaking, there came another and said, Your sons and daughters now were eating and drinking wine in their oldest brother's house, and behold, a great wind came across the wilderness and struck the four corners of the house, and it fell upon the young people, and they are dead." And I alone have escaped to tell you. So let's pause real quick. He's lost everything, right? In a matter of of moments. He's he's lost all of his wealth. He's lost land. He's lost all of his animals. He's lost all of his kids. And then Job arose and tore his robe and shaved his head. And fell on the ground and cried. Fell on the ground and boohooed. Fell on the ground and never got up again. Fell on the ground and, and what? What's that next word? Fell on the ground and worshipped. And he worshipped and he said, you know what? Naked I came from my mother's womb. I didn't have nothing. And naked I shall return. I can't take anything with me. The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And in all this, Job did not sin or charge God with wrong. So Job's three friends, again, they show up, and this other guy comes, his name is Elihu, and you can read this all through 42 chapters, and it's this great poetic thing where even, you know, the fiddler on the roof gets a lot of, the Broadway show gets a lot of its thing from the book of the Job. The book of the Job. And the Lord finishes off the book by giving Job twice of what he had before, and seven more sons and three more beautiful daughters. And he lived to see four generations of them. Though the event that made you sad, though the event can make you sad, your extension can still be worship. I'll say that again. Though though the event can make you sad, something's going to make you sad, try to build a wall up in your life, and you say, nah, wall, right? Your extension, what you display, what you do, your actions, your mindset, how you operate can still be Worship. Let's turn to the book of John real quick. John chapter eleven, John chapter eleven, verses seventeen is where we're going to pick up. My father-in-law always jokes that he's got a sermon for me, and it's Jesus wept, and uh, it's the one verse. And so we're about to approach that verse. So, um, Don, if you're listening online, um, I'm taking your sermon. So. Now when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. Jesus showed up, Lazarus, Mary, Martha, they're all his friends, and he heard that Lazarus was sick, and he chose to even stay where he was for a couple more days. And then he finally shows up. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off, and many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him, but Mary remained seated in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, if you were here, if you were God, if you had showed up in my life when I needed you, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said, no, 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 I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, Yes, Lord. I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. When she had said this, she went and called her sister Mary, saying in private, The teacher is here, and he's calling for you. And when she heard it, she rose quickly, because remember, she was in the house, and she went to Jesus. Now, Jesus had not yet come into the village, but he was still in the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who were with her in the house, consoling her, saw Mary rise quickly and go out, they followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to weep there. Now when Mary came to Jesus, where Jesus was, and saw him, she fell at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. The same thing again, right? We say that again in our minds, right? God, if you were here, if you were real, if you had been there when I needed you, none of this would have happened. When Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved, in his spirit, and greatly troubled, and he said, Where have you laid him? And they said to him, Lord, come and see, and here's your memory verse for this week, verse thirty-five. Jesus wept. Verse thirty six So the Jews said, See how he loved him. But some of them said, Could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man also have kept this man from dying? Then Jesus, deeply moved again, came into the tomb. It was a cave, and a stone lay against it. And Jesus said, you know what, take away stone. Mar- Martha, the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, sister of Lazarus, said to him, Lord, by this time there's going to be an odor, for he's been dead for four days. In other words, please, like, don't add insult to injury. He's already dead. You open up this tomb, it's going to be stinky. And everyone's going to know it, and then it's just going to be a mess. Jesus, please, 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 just leave it alone. You weren't here When I wanted you to be here, let me handle this. Please, please don't do that. Jesus said to her, you know what? Did I not tell you that if you believed, you would also see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but but I said this on account of the people standing around that they may believe that you sent me. And when he said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The man who had died came out, his hands and feet still bound with the linen strips, and his face wrapped with a cloth. Jesus said to him, said to them, "Unbind him and let him go." The picture' like a mummy or something wrapped up, just like, like trying to get, get me out of all this stuff, right? What happened? Why am I here? So why would Jesus, in this passage, why would Jesus, who knew Lazarus's fate? And that he would rise again, why would Jesus be sad? Jesus wept. Verse 35, right? Why would Jesus cry, even though he knew the outcome, even though he was the Son of God, even though he knew Lazarus was going to walk and live again? Why would Jesus be sad? Because it's okay to be sad. It's okay to be sad. It's a problem, and physically and spiritually unhealthy, when that's all that happens. You never wake up. You never come out of the tomb. That is the extension of everything, when the sadness dwells in everything in your life. You know, imagine if Jesus had just sat down and only wept. So Jesus wept, and he sat down on a rock, and then he left Bethany and went back to Jerusalem. End of story. Lazarus would still be in that tomb, right? Right? If Jesus had only cried and only been sad. But the extension was worship. And that's why we read about Jesus talking to the Father, right? I want them to see, you believe this is going to happen. Faith and action. And those of us with a wall of sadness, you and I are Lazarus today. Living in a tomb of darkness, dead in our relationships. And Jesus is doing what he always does. He's calling you and me, he's calling us out to life. Not sadness not the tomb anymore, not death, not separation, not a wall, come out from behind that wall. Move that stone out of the way because I've got life in store for you. The other side of the wall we've been talking about every single week is, you know, for, you know, for pride and for anger and for control, we've looked at different words that are the other side of that wall, right? God's perspective, The inside of the Jericho, if you will, of these walls that can come down. So the other side of this wall, we might jump to thinking, it's joy. Sadness, joy, right? Sadness, joy, right? It's not. The opposite perspective of what we're talking about today, this sadness, it's not joy, it's not happiness. It's this small, five-letter word called peace. Peace peace why because you can't be sad and have peace they don't coexist that event that made you sad sure but eventually walking with god you want peace in your life right you're not going to bounce back and go to joy I haven't had a lot of conversations with my mom about since my dad you know, passed away. And she's like, everyone wants me to be happy. Everyone wants me to be happy. Everyone wants me to be joyful. Why can't I? Well, you're not supposed to be. You just lost your husband of 45 years. But you can have Peace. No one's going to expect you to, to bounce back from a, a sad event or tragic event in your life however long ago and immediately, yay, let's go to Disney. I'm happy again. Happiest place in the, on earth. Yay. It's a small world. Out. So, I mean, no one's going to expect you to bounce right back, right back into joy. And it's, it's okay to not. But don't dwell in the world of the sad. Don't let the sad become the niss in your life. And God can take the wall of sadness down in your life. He can. When you accept that you were sad, and stop trying to be happy. Stop trying to force it. Instead, just pray to God to bring you peace. Philippians chapter 4 verse 7, and it says, And the peace of God which surpasses all understanding. In other words, it doesn't make sense, this piece of God I'm talking about. This piece of God, the world doesn't get it. I'm writing it down, and I even can't understand it sometimes. This piece of God that surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. It's the sadness protector. And for you and me who are dealing with sadness this morning in some way, shape, or form, it's time to be at peace with the loss of that job. It's time to be at peace with the loss of that opportunity, the loss of that health issue, the loss of that loved one, the loss of stability or normalcy in your life. Whatever that thing was that happened that made you sad, it probably should have. And just like Jesus at the tomb of Lazarus, admit meant you cared if you were sad. But it's time for the sadness that has walled you off to others and to God to end this morning. Jesus is calling you and me out of a tomb, a Lazarus-like tomb. And instead of dwelling on that core issue of what made you sad, that loss, right? Look, find, and pray for that hidden goodness called gain, like we gain things, right? You see, sadness closes your eyes to the opportunity for gain. The loss of a friend, but guess what? You maybe gained the knowledge of how important time is with your friends and family. Maybe you lost a leg, but you gained a new respect for your health and your body. I saw a guy in the gym this week. He was doing the row machine. He was an amputee. That guy motivated me. Entire workout, I'm looking over there at that dude. He's just for 40 minutes on this row machine. Missing a leg. He's got a metal bionic something going on. Loss of a job. Maybe you lost your job. But maybe you gained a stronger dependence on God, right? Maybe it's a loss of a dad, but maybe you've gained a new relationship with the Father. Sadness can be a wall for many of us. But the peace of God and nothing else can bring that wall down this morning.